Hey guys and girls, just quick disclaimer before we get into this episode. Uh, during the Golden Points, I made a really silly statement. I said that uh, the Super League Grand Final went into extra time, which of course it didn't. And I don't know why that popped into my mind at the time of recording, but listening back afterwards, I thought, holy shit, did I really say that? Anyway, obviously it didn't go into extra time. It felt like it did. It was, it was a cracking ending to that match. I watched the ending about a thousand times. But yeah, just wanted to come in quickly, apologize for that. And uh, yeah, mistakes happen, but that was a silly one. And yeah, enjoy the rest of the show, guys. What is up, Kangaroo Chasers? On this episode of the podcast, we are joined by Andrew Dixon. Andrew played for St. Helens. He played for Salford. He played for Lee. Most recently, he played for the Toronto Wolfpack. So he was part of the original Wolfpack squad. And he was part of the squad all the way to the end. So all the way to their Super League season last season. And uh, yeah, sad to say, all the way to the end. Great conversation. Uh, he and I discussed uh, his career. We discussed his time at the pack, discussed the lead up to the big Super League decision, the aftermath of the decision. Um, pretty interesting to hear the players' perspective uh, as to sort of what they knew about leading up to the event and afterwards. I, I won't spoil anything, so make sure you listen. Um, be a great chat. Uh, he also tells me a little bit about his thoughts on the future for Canada, whether or not whether or not he thinks rugby league has a future in Canada. So I love the conversation. We left it for, you know, a few weeks after the decision was made just to let it settle in and um, really, you know, get his clear thoughts on it. So, yeah, enjoyed the convo. Hope you do as well. I'm Michael Carboni. This is episode 91 of the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. You're listening to Chasing Kangaroos, the rugby league podcast for fans who are passionate about seeing the game played in more places. All right, guys, episode 91, original Wolf Pack with Andrew Dixon, a great conversation, and but as always... We're going to start with some golden points, and usually I've got Big T with me, but he's not here this week. He's got uh, some work commitments, so he's left me flying solo. But don't you worry, Big T fans, the biggest tiger will be back next week uh, for the first time in Season 3, so it's going to be awesome to have him back. Certainly can't wait. And Big T, I know you're listening, mate, so I uh, hope you enjoy this one, brother. Let's get stuck into some golden points before my chat with Andrew Dixon, uh, and plenty happened. So we've actually got... We've actually got four or five weeks worth of golden points because obviously we weren't recording podcasts during State of Origin and the Grand Final, NRL Grand Final, that is. Um, so quite a bit has happened. I'm not going to be able to get through everything, but as always, uh, follow us on, on the socials, Instagram, Facebook. It's at Chasing Ruse. And on Twitter, you can follow me on at Chasing Ruse Pod. You can follow Big T uh, at The Biggest Tiger as well. And you can get some more news, golden points, opinion, discussion. Uh, yeah, just give us a follow means a lot. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, I should say as well, I don't know if I say this enough or if I say it too much, but if you are enjoying the pod, make sure you share it with your friends, make sure you subscribe, and we'd really appreciate it if you um, wrote a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen. Make sure you write a review. It really does help with our rankings. Uh, and yeah, let people know if you're enjoying it and you got friends who might enjoy it just as much. 
But guys, Golden Points, let's go around the Rugby League world and let's start in Golden Point, Fiji via Sydney. So ABC News were reporting that the Cavite Silktails will be based in Sydney for 20, the 2021 season. We were expecting that. We did anticipate it. We have mentioned that they will be based in Sydney to take part in that Ron Massey Cup competition just under the New South Wales Cup. So that has been now confirmed. The other thing we're waiting on confirmation on was who their partner would be for their pathway for players leading up into the NRL. You may recall last season uh, they had a, had a one-year deal with the Cronulla Sharks. There was talk about the West Tigers as well. That deal was like ran out this year and obviously nothing really happened with it because they couldn't play. There was no Ron Massey, there was no New South Wales Cup. So that didn't really come to fruition. There is talk now that there will be a partnership with the Sydney Roosters. Uh, it's pending approval and quite interesting. I didn't expect the Roosters um, to be the team that they'd partner with. So quite interesting. But as always, the Roosters are always very, very forward thinking when it comes to expansion. You know, they, they played games in, in France in the lead up to their um, their World Club Challenge a couple of years ago. It's no surprise that uh, they're looking for the best talent in Fiji to come up through the ranks. So good on them. Hope it does happen for them. And uh, yeah, could see the Cavite Silktail players coming up into the NRL via the Roosters. Exciting times. Uh, guys, Golden Points over to Papua New Guinea. So similar one as well. So the PNG Hunters, they have confirmed uh, a few weeks ago now that they'll base themselves in Queensland for the 2021 Queensland Cup competition. So the move will ensure that the club can compete in that comp despite expectation that international travel restrictions will probably remain as they are right now for at least part of the season. So they're just thinking ahead. They're making sure they're going to be able to, to compete. Um, Matt Church over in Papua New Guinea and Port Moresby with the boys at the moment, training the squad, his extended squad. Uh, he will bring those guys over in the new year to southeast Queensland where they'll base themselves for a little while. So it's happening with the Silk Tails in New South Wales. It's happening with the Hunters in Papua New Guinea. And staying in Papua New Guinea, Golden Point, uh, the Papua New Guinea National Rugby League competition, well, they're set to expand. They're calling for expressions of interest for new franchises to participate in the 2021 Digicel Cup. So, so far, EOIs have been received from the Sepik Pride, the Motu Koyota Lagatos, and uh, the Simnu Warriors as well. So I was excited when I first read this. Good to see the competition expanding. I don't think they've had, um, they've been able to get up to like that 12-team mark for, for quite some time. So good to see them getting there or wanting to get there for next year. Um, someone floated the idea on, on our socials as well of, you know, potentially getting some other Pacific Pacific uh, Island clubs and sides in there as well. Would be interesting. Not sure how that would work in terms of feasibility, um, but, yeah, it would be interesting to see that that sort of Digicel Cup expand to include Pacific, uh, Pacific Island sides as well. But for now... Look, there's plenty of talent in Papua New Guinea. We know that. We hear about it all the time. So to see more of those guys exposed to their top competition, hopefully get a pathway up to the P, uh, the PNG Hunters and, and up to the NRL as well. So more opportunities for more Papua New Guineans. You know, we love that on the show here at Chasing Kangaroos. Our golden point back to Fiji. Uh, grand final a thriller in the Fiji Vodafone Cup grand final a couple of weeks ago as well, where the police sharks, they took the title 18 to 16 in extra time over the coastline ruse. Uh, something about extra time. Hey, of course, Super League, the Saints one. Have to mention that as well. Saints won in extra time, eight points to four. What a cracker that was. And go St. Helens, uh, my side. Uh, and they did vote for the Wolfpack. So 
Gotta love that, the team that voted for the Wolfpack, defeating the team that did not vote for the Wolfpack. So, yeah, go Saints. Um, guys, golden point over to Africa. So a huge boost for rugby league in the, in the continent. Coming from uh, the International Rugby League AGM a few weeks ago, Ghana and Nigeria accepted as affiliate members. So that's great news. It means they can compete for World Cups. Really exciting times. And I do have a guest, a little sneak peek in the next week or two. I've recorded the interview already. I've got a guest from Ghana who is involved in playing, coaching, developing some, some kids in the schools as well. Fantastic discussion. Can't wait to share it with you guys from Ghana. Uh, and speaking of Ghana, Golden Point, Ghana Rugby League have launched five women's rugby league clubs to commence active involvement in the greatest game of all. The clubs are the Ghana Scholars, the Bulls Rugby League Football Club, the Accra Panthers, the Ghana Pirates, and the Nunguau Tigers. Those last two, I believe, or at least the last one, they're, they're new clubs. So that's exciting stuff from, from the women's side of the game over there in Ghana as well. Golden point over to New Zealand. And this is some cracking news. It's what we've been waiting for. And it's what we we're missing in the 2020 season for obvious reasons, but it's back. And Brad Walter via NRL.com has confirmed that New Zealand are preparing to play Tonga on June 26. Uh, they're also trying to hook up a game against Australia at the end of the season in an international doubleheader that would also feature the Kiwi Ferns. That's all in the lead up to the World Cup. So really exciting times to see international rugby league back on the agenda. I've been dying to see New Zealand versus Tonga uh, for a while again. For me, it's right up there with Origin. You guys all know how I feel about that. Um, it's got the potential to be one of the pinnacles of our game, New Zealand versus Tonga. Glad it's back. It's probably going to be alongside some other international games as well in that rep weekend, standalone rep weekend. I think it'll be Origin 2 weekend. Um, so we should be able to get some of those other Pacific Islands playing each other as well as hopefully a few others too. And yeah, maybe England will play someone as well, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> we, we're actually hearing that they could be playing uh, an Exiles team. Not sure how I feel about that. At least they'll get some hopefully steady competition. But yeah, maybe that's a, maybe that's a topic for another day. All right, guys, Golden Point Samoa. So not only did the Queensland Maroons get up in State of Origin 2020, but the Upalau Maroons, well, they've also won the inaugural Rugby League Samoa Island of Origin Series in Apia Stadium as well. The Maroons defeated Savoy Blues 24 points to 14 in the decider. The whole Pacific is Maroon, unfortunately, uh, for us New South Wales Blues fans. Uh, yeah, anyway, but as always, next year. All right, Golden Point. Over to South America via, via Campbelltown. And we mentioned this this last week in the Ask Carbs episode, but yeah, El, El Salvador versus Peru confirmed March 6. It's a 7.30 p.m. kickoff at Wanimba Oval at Campbelltown. I'm going to be there. Hopefully you'll be there too. Let me know. Say hello. We'll take some selfies. We'll have a chat. We'll watch some footy. It's going to be fantastic. And uh, week, the week before, so February 28, at the same stadium in Campbelltown, uh, there's going to be um, a Uruguay versus Brazil matchup as well. So Campbelltown, home of uh, South American International Rugby League for that, that period, that seven-day period. So very exciting times, guys. I, I urge you all to mark those in your calendar. If you can, get down there to Waninda Oval at Campbelltown. Golden Point to the Ukraine. So the Ukraine Rugby League Federation have announced a reorganisation of their top flight championship. So the newly formed Ukraine Super League 
will include regional teams that are closely aligned to English rugby league clubs as well. So already we've seen the Sheffield Eagles, they've announced their support of the, bear with me guys, the Keming-ish-Kai Eagles. Totally butcher that. I've got to have at least one butchering per, per episode. But good on the Eagles for getting behind the Eagles in the Ukraine Super League. Awesome. Can't wait to find out more about that one, actually. I know very little at this stage. So, yeah, if there's any info out there, guys, send it through in the DMs. Uh, Golden Point, Lebanon. I found this one really interesting. So former Wallabies coach Michael Chica, a couple of weeks ago, was announced as the head coach of the Lebanese Rugby League side. He'll steer them into the Rugby League World Cup 2021 uh, this was reported by the uh, Daily Telegraph Sport here in Sydney. Uh, so every now and then, Lebanese Rugby League makes the papers here in Sydney. Obviously, there's a there's a huge expat contingent, a lot of heritage Lebanese here in Sydney and in Australia. So it does make the news, and this was a good one, for all for positive reasons for once, which is really good. So Michael Chica, um, look, not sure about his Rugby League credentials, to be honest with you. Uh, my my union friends and I don't have many of those, but my union friends tell me that you know he's uh, he's got a different sort of mind. It's not he's he's sort of brought some some leagueisms to rugby, I suppose. So I think he'll do a good job. He's Lebanese heritage himself. He speaks Lebanese. He's going to bring that flavour and uh, and that passion to the jersey, which um which those before him have done as well. So yeah, look, I like it. I hope he goes well, and I hope Lebanon can um, can go well because, as we know, last World Cup they did very well. Um, you know, and odds are guys like Mitch Moses they might be there again, and um, they're going to have a good squad. So hopefully Michael Chica can do some good things and keep getting them on the back page of newspapers. That'll be awesome. All right, guys, Golden Point over to Serbia. So four weeks after the grand final, where Red Star Belgrade took out the title once again. And Spartan Belgrade, fourth time in a row, go go Red Star. But uh, it looks like the future could be, we could see some some new talent emerge and some new clubs at the top. Because Red Star lost the under-19s grand final over the weekend against the Dorku Tigrove. The Tigers, Big T, will be happy. Uh, they took the trophy 24 points to 20 in an extra-time victory. Seems to be a lot of extra-time grand finals this season. It's been fantastic. We saw it in Fiji, we saw it in the UK. We've seen it here in the Serbia under-19s as well. So Dorko Tigrovi, Big T, will be happy. Future is bright over in Serbia, as we know. Uh, Golden Point, California, where this one surprised me. Uh, this one sort of stu- snuck under my radar. I know the guys over there, Tom and the team over there, going to great lengths to get a match or get, get a season underway this year. It's been difficult over in California, which is why I was surprised when I saw the result for Game 1, Sacramento 38-30. to over the East Palo Alto Razorbacks. Um, new side, the Razorbacks, so that's exciting. The fact that there was a match, that's exciting. I don't know much about what's going on over there. They've kept it quiet, but they have told me that there's more games to come. So watch this space and, um, yeah, follow them on the socials. California Rugby League, really exciting stuff. So go Sacramento, another win. And finally, Golden Point, over to Greece. And I wish this... I wish Big T was here with me this week for this one because I want to congratulate him. What a champion. Co-host of the Chasing Kangaroos, the biggest tiger has been unveiled uh, as the new Greek Rugby League Club's number one season ticket holder. Of course, that club is the Parama Tigers. And, uh, yeah, the Tigers, Big T, number one season ticket holder. 
Very proud. I know he's very proud. Congratulations, big guy. And uh, good luck to the Parama Tigers in future for Greek Rugby League. That's all we have time for, guys. Golden points. Hope you enjoyed it. Plenty going on in the Rugby League world, despite the NRL being over, despite the Super League being over, despite State of Origin being over. And that doesn't even include things like the French Elite One, which is still going on. Follow along with them. Um, exciting times, some good games. And I can't take you through all the results, but there's been some good action there. So try and follow along with them on the socials. And we'll try and be- bring you the big news as it happens as well. So outside of your normal regular rounds over there in the French Rugby League. But plenty going on. Speaking to a lot of clubs and administrators and players around the world of Rugby League who are excited about next season. Some of them didn't get to get on the field for, for 2020. They're really excited about 2021. Things are going to be bigger, better than ever. And hopefully this COVID pause was just that, a pause. And we can go on to bigger things and look forward to an exciting World Cup in 2021. All right, guys, that's enough rambling from me. Golden points are over. I'll be back next week with Big T there. But until then, when Big T's back with me, here is my conversation from a couple of weeks ago with Andrew Dixon from the Toronto Wolfpack. Enjoy. All right, Kangaroo Chasers, very special treat for our first uh, guest of Season 3 of Chasing Kangaroo's podcast. He's an English back rower. Uh, but I guess you could say he's been adopted by Canada as well now. Uh, he played for the Heartland clubs St. Helens, Salford and Lee. But uh, the most interesting part of his career for me is the last four years where he ran with the pack. He's a, he's a Toronto Wolfpack original squad member. And um, dare I say, maybe he's been there all the way to the end, depending on what happens next for the great club. But Andrew Dixon, welcome to Chasing Kangaroos, mate. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you, and thanks for having me on the show. Sensational, mate. It's um, it's it's pretty cool to have someone who's been at the Wolfpack from start to probably the finish, to uh, especially at this time. Like it's it's been a couple of weeks since the big decision by Super League, you know, to refuse re-entry for for the Wolfpack. And I'm quite. We had a hiatus from recording. Like we sort of took a bit of a break during State of Origin, and I'm kind of glad I did because I was really angry when the Wolfpack were kicked out and. I'm guessing you were as well, and and that's kind of where I want to start because for me, I went and I joked about this on Twitter, but I was kind of half serious as well. But for me, I went through like the seven stages of grief when the Wolfpack were sort of sort of refused re-entry. So tell me, Andy, like where are you at? Where's your head right now? And I'll, we're recording this on November twenty-four, so it's been a couple of weeks. You've had time to sort of let it soak in. How are you feeling, mate? Yeah, definitely. Like that, that seven stages of grief definitely resonates with me. Like the first, the first phase was probably shock, yeah. like because that it was it was told to us that it was going to be all right, kind of thing, and that we that everything was going in our favour. So who told you that? Just if I can interrupt, like who who said it was going to be okay? Uh, for, it was from like the, the 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 staff really that we we would have regular zooms and they would yeah. we were having conversations and they were saying that it was looking favourable for us well wow. obviously to exercise caution but like it's looking good and yeah. you know that's what that's what we thought going into it and then obviously to like I was refreshing my phone on Twitter um, to see what what you know if there was any news about Toronto as I've been doing for the last six months and yeah. it came up straight away someone put um, vote goes against Toronto 9-4 yeah, that, that's how I found out and I just kind of dropped my phone in, on, the, on the floor and my missus was in the next room and I just shouted her in and I said like listen this is what's happened and we both just kind of sat there for a couple of minutes in silence Yeah, because you know we, we, we've been 
kind of on this journey for the last six months where it culminated in this this one moment and that was it it was over and you know we, we were just sat there in shock and you know i'd say that as the, the weeks went on um I spoke to this charity from RL Cares, really good charity, yep. uh, massively underfunded, a guy called Francis Stevenson. And, you know, that's when he kind of told me about, like, the, well, we were having conversations and he was asking me the ramifications of what had actually happened to me, like, financially and in my life and everything like that. Yep. And honestly, after that, after that call, I probably cried for about 10, 15 minutes because yeah. I, it, it, all the emotion came out after it. Um, but I'd say like now I'm in like a, a good, a better place. I mean, I'm in a place where now I'm looking forward to the next challenge and trying to move on, move on from the situation that happened because it's like anything in life. If, if you get, if something goes against you or, you know, you make a mistake or something happens, that's, that's not good. You can't dwell on it for too long. You've got to get over it and, and look for the next opportunity. And that's what I'm doing right now. It's good that you're feeling that way. And I feel like the whole super league seems to have moved on a little bit in the past two weeks. We can, think about a little more clearly like what is the next step for you like are you looking at new clubs or are you continuing your career or what's what's the plan for you next yeah de- yeah definitely I'm, I'm i'm looking at new clubs and like i've said all the way through my career it's took me it took me a long to figure this out but the the place made the people and that's what initially drove me to toronto were people who were going um, yeah. and that that was what initially caught my eye um because if you've, I've been around good teams and I've been around bad teams. I've been in successful teams and I've been in unsuccessful teams. Yeah. And the difference between those teams is once you're with good people, it, it it's not that it doesn't matter, but it makes the tough times easier. So yeah. if you're going through a tough, tough route and, you know, in 2012 at Salford, we, we were rubbish. We won five games in that season, but yeah. we were really tight, tight knit as a group. Um, and we stuck together and we made it through. And, you know, when you're getting pumped and you're getting, you're getting battered in a game and it's, it's 50 odd points and, you know, you're looking around at each other and you know, you know, you're not good enough, but you know, you're all giving your hundred percent effort. You can take that. But in a side where, you know, it's not quite working and there's some splits and things like that, and guys are kind of tossing it off a little bit because they don't buy into the philosophy of the team. Yeah, I, I can't say that. So that's what I'm looking for next is I'm looking for good people to work with. And it's going to be weird being the new kid on the block uh, yeah. at a new place, but I, I'm looking forward to the next challenge. Yeah, that's incredible. And look, let's let's take it. I wanted I, It was interesting. I wanted to start this interview sort of at the end or where we're at today, but I want to sort of now take it back to the beginning. So I, I know, I've known... I've followed your career closely whilst you've been at the Wolfpack, but sort of before that, you've had a great career as well. And I want to sort of get go back to that sort of origin story. So where did it start? Tell me about a young Andrew Dixon. Where did he grow up? How did he find the, the greatest game of all? And, and tell me about your origin story leading up to eventually signing for Toronto. Yeah, so it all all started with my dad uh, and my family. Uh, my dad, my dad used to play semi-pro football, and then he was a rugby union player. Um, yeah. and he, he used to play down at Sedgley Park in Manchester. And he's a teacher as well, so we we were living in Warrington at the time, and he wanted me to get into sport, and I wasn't very good at football. So, yeah. um, I, like like all rugby players, I was a failed footballer, and um, he took me down to rugby club, and, and I kind of just took to the game, um, and I, I really enjoyed it. So, you know, I played my amateur rugby at Crossfields, and then at about fourteen, uh, well, 
at 12 initially I signed for, like a scholarship for St Helens and then at 14 I moved to Blackbrook in St Helens and you know we had a really good team and we we, uh, we won the league and stuff like that and then growing up um, it was coming through Saints Academy and you know it 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 really was like a place where it it's not that it was unacceptable to lose but it was all about you know performance and you know I think I feel like that really set me up for playing rugby professionally because yeah. you know it, it was it was a really good environment to be in um, and then obviously I went into maybe debut at Saints when I was like 18 years old under Mick Potter so big big thanks to Mick for giving me my debut but yeah that that was that was my initial story there what was it like debuting for Saints? Like probably like it's they're they're my Super League club. I'll say that now that Toronto's out, and I have a soft spot for Catalan as well. But I've always followed Saints because I'm a I'm a St George Dragons fan, and it just made sense that I'd follow Saints since then. So, yeah. w what was it like debuting for one of the biggest clubs and coming through the ranks like that? What what was the feeling like in Super League then? Yeah, it was a little bit surreal because, you know, I'd watched these guys growing up and, and I managed to get onto the pitch and then, you know, you, you, you're playing next to them and they're telling you what to do and, you know, you're, you're trying to do your best for them and things like that. So, you know, playing with, with the likes like Sean Long and Kieran Cunningham was unreal for me. And, yeah. you know, literally like at that age, it was just, give them the ball and then watch them do something like I had Matt Gilly as my centre so I literally just pass, it, pass him the ball and then yeah. watch him do something yeah. and he could hit his, he could hit his winger tw like you know 20 yards away on the fly uh, he was unreal and, and what, what a good bloke as well so you know it was it was a little bit starstruck at the beginning but then you know, it was it was such an amazing experience, and you know they had such a tight knit group, and that kind of formed a lot of my opinions moving forward, uh, because they were such a successful group, and yeah. you know they they were really tight knit as well, and had managed to have a laugh with with it, which was you know one of the most important things I found. He played some junior rep footy as well. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so in um, 2018, I went to uh, Australia with the schoolboys, the England schoolboys. Uh, we ended up getting beat by Australia. I think the first game was 60 points in, in North Queensland. Um, but then the, the second one was a little bit closer um, in Brisbane. I think it was like maybe like 24, 18 or something. But yeah, it was it was a good experience. And, you know, it was really good to get over there and experience Australia. Like, you know, I love the place and, you know, hopefully I managed to get back soon. What's was it eye opening? Like, what's it like for a young guy who's sort of come, grown up in Northern England? You're playing a lot of footy, a lot of rugby, as you say, and then all of a sudden you're on the other side of the world playing against Aussies who are probably like future NRL stars, the the, the schoolboy Aussie side. What, what was your what were your impressions beforehand, and when you came back, what was the feeling? I think the professionalism in Australia, it was something that was like of no, um, you know, I think in the first game, Jordan Rankin played. And then in the second game, he wasn't playing because he was playing for Gold Coast, I think it might have yeah, been. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think he was like, I think he might have been 17. I think he was uh, 17 when he he was the last 17 year old to play first grade, I think. I think they changed the the age rules or something like that from memory after, after he right. played. But yeah, yeah. So he, that, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm he, with you. He played, but then Albert Kelly came in for him in the second game. Yeah. Seven, so it wasn't really much of a, much of a difference, to be honest. <laughs> um, but no, it was. We we did a few things on on that tour, which was interesting. We went to like a few of the facilities, like the Brisbane facility, and just just looking at what they had, and then obviously what we had in the UK. It was at that point in time, it was a big difference. They had things like the league clubs, and, and you know, it was it was very professional. That was 
probably a big difference that I noticed is how big the facilities, how grand the facilities were, and yep. that that was the bit of a difference. So, so you've you've been around like Heartland clubs your whole life, and up until the point of Toronto. So, what enticed you there? Like, did you was there an element of like, are you an expansionist? Are you an internationalist? Like, do you do you want to see the game grow? Is that sort of what? enticed you in the first place to to take an adventure over to toronto it was kind of twofold initially um you know i i love to travel i love to experience new places and i I love to you know experience new cultures and you know when canada was never on my radar america was always on my radar and and i never really thought too much about canada growing up and and going there on on a holiday if anything um but so when when the opportunity came up, I kind of jumped it because I was like, I get to travel, which is what I love to do, and I get to play rugby, which is also what I love to do. So it was a win-win for me. Um, but like I said before, the, the place made the people, and you know, initially going was Paul Rowley, the coach who had been under at Lee, and then a lot of my mates, and I'd gone through a real rough time at Salford um, the year before, yeah. and I was in a bit of a place where, you know, I, I wasn't really enjoying rugby. I wasn't really like, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. To be honest, I was about twenty-four years old, and I wasn't really sure where it was kind of going. Yeah. Um, and then I went to Lee, and I really rediscovered my my love of of rugby, and you know, because being around the boys, we had a good laugh, and you know, we were winning games and everything like that. So it was all, so it was really good and. You know, then that kind of, you know, spurred me on to want to recreate that at Toronto. And, you know, I played at these Heartland clubs where you're standing on the shoulders of giants. So, you know, the people that have gone before you, like when I was at Saints, it was like, you know, Mal, Mal Inger and people like that that have been before you. And then I wanted to do that somewhere else and set the culture and be be the, pers- the, the first few people at, at a new club. And that really, you know... Um, drew me to to go to Toronto as well. Are you one of the only guys that were there from the beginning? Is there anyone else that were there the whole time? Yeah, so there's a couple of us like who like finished in this year, and there was me, um, Adam Sidlow, yeah, uh, Blake Wallace, and then Greg Worthington, and then uh, Gaz Wheeler went halfway through halfway through the year. But yeah, there was those of us were left. I think I've not missed anybody out. Um, but yeah, that that. That was it. So incredible. Yeah. Oh, Liam, Liam Kay as well. Oh, yeah, Sorry, yeah, he, yeah. Left, he, he left halfway through the year. Um, yeah. Just gone. So it's, it's quite incredible. You're part of like a very small sort of group of people that got to do something really special. And uh, look, I'm, I'm talking like it's all over, but we'd like to think that maybe the wolf can come back in some degree. And maybe we can talk about that a little bit later on in the chat. What's up, Kangaroo Chasers? Just interrupting this convo with Andrew Dixon. Hope you're enjoying it. Just to let you know that uh, Chasing Kangaroos is proudly supported this season by Matt Haynes Sport. You all know who he is. He's an absolute champion. He is the unofficial official designer of developing Nations Rugby League. He designs logos. He designs jerseys. And now he produces jerseys as well. So if you're interested, if you're a player, if you're a club administrator, if you have an Oztag team or a touch football team that, that plays on weeknights and you need jerseys, you need a kit supplier, Hit up matthaynesport.com.au, check him out, send him a message, make an inquiry. If you ask for a quote, place an order uh, in your messages, make sure you tell him you're a kangaroo chaser. Tell him you listen to Chasing Kangaroos, mention us, whatever you like. Uh, and you might get a sneaky 10% off that quote as well. So, in fact, you can definitely expect that from Matt Haynes, our good friend Matt Haynes Sports. So, go ahead, check him out. If you don't need a jersey, follow him anyway. Fantastic stuff. You're really going to love it. Find him on the socials. Uh, we'll have the tags in our 
show notes. But until then, guys, enjoy the rest of this interview with Andrew Dixon. I'll see you soon. The the beginning of your your journey with the Wolfpack, where did it start? Because I know they had like combines with some Americans, and they had guys like Monty Gaddis, Ryan Burrows, Joe Eichner, and and they had Jamaican guys, Canadian guys, American guys trying out for this team. And they ended up coming over to the UK to play some games and trial for spots. Quinn Nwadi was one of those as well, who um who was in the squad this year. Where did you fit in? When when did you sort of get started and when was your first sort of game and tra- or training session, should I say? Yeah, so those those trials, they were in the build-up of the year. So I, I was I was still at Lee and the, those um, trials were in the year building up to us starting the pre-season in the November. Yeah. Um, and then I literally started in uh, pre-season in the middle of November with um with with them and you know we we were at a facility in Brighouse in um in Yorkshire and you wouldn't it, it was hard to envisage going to Toronto being in Brighouse in Yorkshire training on a facility like it was it was it was like something like surreal is probably the only thing to describe it like yeah. we were in a we were in a clubhouse in Brighouse and you know the facilities were were um you know they were, they were decent but it was just it was we were so far from Toronto, and you know, in that April we managed to get over and we played our first game versus Oxford, and the difference over there was was unreal. And you know, the the tough days in preseason made it all worth it getting over there and being able to experience the city. I, I never really thought of that. Like you would have been training in the UK, going, "All right, we play for Toronto, but do we really?" Like it didn't. It mustn't not have felt that way. And I never, I never really thought of that. Like it's quite incredible and. Tell me about arriving there and, like, nobody knows about rugby league at that stage in, in Canada, or very, very few people do. Many people who sort of watched that first game in the stands probably thought they were going to a rugby union match. What was it like? What was your first impression of rugby league in Canada, your first game, your first your first week there? So the, the fans in Canada, um, and especially in Toronto, they'll only come to a game because the games usually last like three or four hours. The basketball, you know, the, the, the Leafs is a little bit quicker, but the, um, the, the Blue Jays, they last for hours, these games. So they might turn up half an hour, an hour into a game, yeah. and then it still goes on for four or five hours. Yeah. Whereas they turn up half an hour into our game, because we had a decent team, the the game was done. It was it was over. So yeah. we we we'd be lined up for the national anthems, and the stadiums would be empty, and we'd be sat, we'd be looking around at each other, thinking, "Is anybody going to come to this?" <laughs> but then you, you get about 20, 20, 30 minutes into it, and then you know um, the, it'd start filling up, and they'd, they'd end up getting a couple of thousand on initially, but there might be a couple hundred people there in the first bit. And you're thinking, what's, what's going on here? And I think that's where a lot of the, all the cardboard cutouts and all this lot, you know, came from because in, in the, in the first stages of the game, it's not like a league match where like in the UK where, or, or, you know, Australia where from, from the, the kickoff, everybody's there. Yeah. Everybody's in. It, it wasn't like that. They were turning up like half an hour into the game and, then we'd be like, oh, there's a crowd on now. Like that, that's strange, <laughs> but but we might be thirty points up or something, and yeah. then it's, it's done. So I think they they soon got adjusted to us and what our game exp- uh, experience was about, and we soon got adjusted to them. So we kind of met in the middle, and you know, by the end of it, everyone was we, you know, it just showed against the game against Featherstone in the million pound game. It was a packed out uh, ground, and you know, all the fans were there for the national anthem. 
Can you recall in your career, has there ever been a game sort of bigger than that, an atmosphere better than that? Oh well, <clears throat> playing in um, playing in the, fi- in the in the grand finals uh, in twenty oh of course twenty yeah. twenty ten and twenty eleven that they're, they're something just for the pure volume of people yeah 20, like seventy five thousand people making noise like if you, if, you, if you put that anywhere if you put it in a field it, you know what I mean it, the noise would be un- unreal and you know um, the first one that I played in twenty ten like I nearly yeah. threw up in that one uh, like lining up yeah, yeah. I, we were literally lining up for a minute silence. Um, and I, I was so nervous. I was nearly. I, I felt like I was going to throw up. But um, I think having experienced that allowed me to deal with, you know, the the Toronto experience. What was it like? Because you guys moved up so quickly. So you were playing in your in your four years there. You're playing League One, and you guys were way too good for that. Like schlacking teams every week, right? By almost a hundred. Then you're you're up in the championship for a couple of years, and then before you know it, you know, at the start of this season, you're in Super League. What was the what was it like moving up every single year and and the challenge the toughness like was it sort of difficult to get used to by the time you were at the top at early twenty twenty? Um, it it was yeah I, I'd say it it probably was for the team. Um, the 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 team did evolve as we moved up. You know, we we there was a, a changeover of a lot of players. Um, yeah. But the League One from from League One to Championship is completely different, and then obviously from Championship to Super League, the difference is the execution of skill and the speed of the game. So, I think going into that season, that was the thing that we maybe struggled with that the things that we could get away with in the Championship because of it, like the game's a little bit slower and the skill of some play, some players isn't as good because you know when you've got some of the best halfbacks in the league, like a like a Johnny Lomax or or someone running at you, yeah. Um, you know his his ball skill. If you make the wrong wrong decision, and let's be honest, you've got 0.5 to one second to make this decision. Then it's a try. Like look at his balls in in the um, in, in you know the the, the semi finals just recently where he's hitting Zeb Taylor. Zeb Taylor's quick hands to Lachlan Coote inside who scores. It, you know that that level of skill. That's what separates the good the, the best teams from from everyone else. And you know they're the things that you probably get away with in championship that. Ultimately, you're paying the price for in, in Super League. Yeah. So, and you guys kind of didn't get a chance to to like have that learning curve this season. It's really unfortunate. Do Do you think? How do you think? And I know it's probably shitty to talk hypotheticals now at this stage, but if there was no COVID this season, where do you think you guys would have landed or ended up by the end of the year? Um, I think it would have been interesting to see where we would have been in the Challenge Cup because we obviously won our last game against Huddersfield. So, yeah. you know, maybe we, we would have managed to have a run there. But, you know, I think with the league, I think, it, it, you, you know, losing the first six games, staying promoted would have been would have been the, the goal, um, staying in the division. Um, you know, that would obviously would have been a battle with Hull KI, who had a great team as well. So, you know, I think, being in and around that that relegation battle would have been the place that we would have been. I would have hoped that we would have managed to stay up. Um, same, and it's you know it's obviously unfortunate how things have turned out. But let's talk about the way sort of your impressions of the club and the way it was run, because you know there's a lot of great things about the Wolfpack, but there's also you know probably in in the in the boardroom there were some some negative things and some mistakes were made, but. Can you tell me a little bit of your insider perspective on, you know, what sort of worked in the four years that the club sort of has been alive for and 
what sort of hasn't worked or what could have been done better in your opinion yeah so you know with with the club the the, the biggest difference i found with the club was the game day experience yeah. and the marketing like that that was like second to none the you know the the club's got 40,000 followers on twitter or i think it's like maybe 36 or something and it's got 50ish on facebook um, yeah. the marketing team were were unbelievable and you know that's john john pallet uh, down in Toronto, he, and and you know obviously all the other guys there. So the the marketing was was second to none, and I think that's something that they did really well. And, you know, to start a club up and to get it to that kind of following base within within four years is is great, really. Um, so that was something they did really well. And the game day experience, you know, they had the hot dog gun, they had music in the game. Like, I've never experienced anything like that, but it's obviously natural to them with the Blue Jays and the basketball yeah. and the Leafs. Like, they have the music in the game. So all that was brilliant. Um, I think that what they got wrong is maybe going into the into the 2020 season, our, our squad wasn't big enough. I think we got, we, we got a lot of criticism for that. Um, you know, I think in hindsight they might have thought back and got in, got in with a bit of a bigger squad. Um, <clears throat> but you know, with, with with regards to David, the guys put eighteen million pounds into it into a club. Yeah, and I, I find it hard. You know, I find it hard to criticise someone who's done that and put eighteen million pounds into a, into a vision. Um, but ultimately, you know, he, he got he got some things wrong and didn't pay people who need paying and stuff like that. So that that's ultimately the biggest downfall of the club is is that really. So you you had some sort of big characters in your squad throughout the years, and it was always someone different. You know, you can look at. You know, Fooey Fooey in the beginning, um, someone like Ashton Sims was always like a very popular character um, with the fans. Then at the end, you had a guy named Sonny Bill Williams. And you look at that and it was such a great coup for the game. Like it got worldwide press. It was huge. And, you know, regardless of where he was at with his, in his career, if you, are, if you told anyone five years ago that Sonny Bill Williams was going to play Super League, for a club in Toronto, they would have laughed at you, but it happened. What what was it? What was your fear? What was it like when that was first announced? Like, did you know about it in the lead up? And and you know, what was it like, sort of meeting the guy and training with him and playing with him? No, yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head there, and you know that was such a a good coup for for Toronto. And you know, I've I've been at a few clubs in the past who have tried to pull things off like that, like when yeah. I was at. At Salford, I know that you know they they tried to to do things like that, and unfortunately didn't manage to do it um, for whatever reason that was. But I think one of the biggest things is is what the NRL said when he went to the Roosters that how it was what was it seventy million dollars worth of impressions? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so you know, I think that things like that have to be taken into consideration. Like if you can get that many kind of impressions online, like you know, it's obviously going to be good for the game, isn't it? Well, certainly so, on, yeah. on yeah on this side of the world, the club that was in our press more than any other from your side of the world was the Wolfpack, and a lot of that probably had to do with Sunny Bill as well. But even so, even if you take the Sunny Bill away, like there there was quite a bit. Of, there was, you know, the Wolfpack were one of the most well known sides to us, and you guys were so new. So I know that's probably hard to believe, but it was the case. 
Yeah, that, that's crazy to believe, and you know that that shows how you know good a job the the club have done in in getting the name out there. And you know, I know they were they were tossing things up like the the game against the the Kangaroo squad yeah. in Toronto, and you know that can only be good for the game, things like that. So, you know, I do think that you know th- with those impressions and and building that up, that that really did good for the, the club and the marketing side of it so you know I think ultimately that, that's been really beneficial and something that maybe got overlooked a little bit in the decision making process when, when we got when we got kicked out Okay, tough question then Like, so we know how positive that was for the team but in hindsight would it have been better to sign six or seven other players instead of just Sonny Bill and have a, have a larger squad? See, only only David can answer that because yeah. he can only tell you how, how that affected his finances. And you know, I'm I'm pretty sure he would have had a model in place um, if it wasn't for COVID that would have got us through the year. So, you know, only he can say that. And the guys who obviously manage the cap as well, yeah, because uh, the way that the cap works in the UK, you obviously know that you, you know only 150 grand or something like that counts in the cap, and then the rest it, it doesn't matter. You can pay. Yeah. You can pay LeBron James thirty million dollars. You know, what I mean, to play for Toronto, like it would, it wouldn't matter. And that would get some but, press. Uh, yeah, exactly. It would. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know, only, only they can answer that. Because um, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a player, and you know, I'm there, I'm there to play. But like I said, it, it, you know, if they, if they'd have been able to wiggle the finances around whichever way they could have and get, you know, three, four, five more players into that team. I think the average squad size is about 28, 29. And that's probably something we should have had looking back. But, yeah. you know, it's probably easy to say in hindsight because, you know, they're, they're the ones dealing with it live. So, so thinking back, you know, earlier in this season, like at what point are you thinking in your head, holy shit, like this, this is, this is going to end? Like at what point are you starting to get worried that, you know, there might not be a season, at, at least. Um, I think that, you know, all the way up in until July, all, all the games restarted, I think it might have been June. Um, so we we got our, our last, like, um, com- conversation about, you know, what was going to happen, and then the club withdrew. And I was like, oh, because we, we were talking about, like, you know what? How we would restart? What training we do? And, yeah. You know, we we were building up for that. We we were all training at home because it was in the middle of a national lockdown, and yeah. you know we're training at home and we're building for that. And then I think it was in June that the club pulled out, and then we were all thinking, well, this isn't good. But from that moment, we got like a, a regular updates every every couple of weeks, and it was always pushed back to another timeline or something else happening, something else happening, something else happening. And it was never like said to us, oh, listen, you know, you're probably going to go like six months like without any money here and that it, yeah. could, it could get kicked out. And, you know, it kind of just, it was broken down into little manageable parts of information being given to us. So it was it was different. And I'm not saying that, you know, they withheld information from us I'm just saying how it unfolded. So, you know, we had a bit of a running joke in our, in our group that seven to ten days was every time we get information. And, you know, that, that that's what we did. Like, you know, it was like, it was almost like a six again. Um, yeah. You know, you know that that's that's what happened, and that's when uh, what happened throughout the full year. So, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was like a realization in June. It was more in, you know, in in, in you know, uh, November time, the other the other month, and when when we got the decision, that was when the sudden realization of oh, actually, this is you know, this is done now. It sounds like you had hope all the way through, which like would have been difficult for a lot of people because, as you say, like 
six months, you're sort of sitting around, not getting paid, wondering what's happening next, getting bits of information. Like, how did you survive that? Like, your head must have been all over the place. Yeah, definitely. You know, me, me and um, my missus and, you know, my mum and dad have had many conversations about, you know, different things um, and, and trying to talk through it. And, you know, because we've been in a lockdown as well. Like, yeah. I've been in the house with, with my missus all the time and, you know, yeah. we've had so many conversations about different outcomes and, you know, we've said worst case scenario, this is going to happen and then this will happen and then we should be all right. And then it's always been worse than the worst <laughs> the, the worst outcome. So, like, you know, we, we kind of stopped discussing that and we were just kind of taking it as a day at a time and, you know, whatever new information came out. But, yeah, we, we lived in hope for, for six months of, of something happening and, you know... That that was probably the build-up of emotion towards the end because yep. we did live in hope and we thought that it was going to come off. Did did Dave Argyle ever communicate with you guys and let you know what was going on? Uh, we had a, we had a, meet, a, a Zoom call with David, and then he he said he kind of said that the club was pulling out and things like that, and you know then that that was kind of it. Yeah. Um, and then all the information we got was was via the staff. Um, in Zoom calls and things like that and you know I, I, I do feel like everyone did the best to get us back in I do feel like yeah. that uh, I'm not privy to the the presentation and things like that I don't know all the details but you know I, I do believe they all did the best and you know unfortunately we didn't get the, the result we wanted Well all of a sudden David's out and, and Carlo Lavosi's in so you, you know like us you, you didn't you're saying you didn't know the details of the presentation but the vibe must have been okay. Like you must have been confident. And the, I guess, by the end of it, once the presentation was made or the second presentation, the Wolfpack was deemed to be or to not benefit Super League in the long run. Do you agree, disagree with a report of the findings, and and what do you think should have happened in your mind if you were in charge? Well, yeah, I think that to say the the you know Canada brings no value to the Super League, it's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. I think I think it's a, you know, I'm not sure. I, I know there was a couple of guys who undertook the the research. I think that if I'm wrong, correct me. Um, you know, this is where you need a a Jamie like Joe Rogan, who's like, you know, look at look at. Yeah. But like, if, if I'm wrong, correct me. Uh, I'm I'm think one of the guys who did it said he he doesn't necessarily agree with his report at the end of it. I'm not sure that I've read that on one of the. On, on one of the news outlets so yeah you, you know i think that like if, if, if that is the decision if the decision the decision what they've made is that, that canada and north america does not benefit super league in my opinion i can't i don't know how it doesn't because you know you've got ten thousand fans you've got you know all this build up all this twitter following all this you know social media I'm not sure how it doesn't, but yeah. if it doesn't, if that's what they're saying it doesn't, then what's next? What el- what else is going to be next? Do you know what I mean? So we can't just, in the UK, we can't just stay doing what we're doing because, you know, it, it's obviously not, not working because, you know, it's we're not getting any bigger, we're not getting any better. Like, you know, the game isn't moving forward, it's not progressing, everything's going down. So, you know, I do think that, like, to move it forward, something else needs to happen. So there needs to be a clear... Um, plan for what else happens now you know with with the decision I do think if the two leading chairman or two two of the three slash four leading chairman who are you know Eamon McManus and, and Gary, Gary Etherington if they're in your corner and they're saying that it, it should it should go ahead then I'm not 
you know, um, who's who is a right to disagree with them? Yeah. Who, who who should disagree with them? Because ultimately, they've got some of the best facilities, the best best academies, the best teams. They win the leagues. They win the cups. Do you know what I mean? Like they've obviously got a handle on the situation and what would benefit the league. So if, if they're if they're in the corner of Toronto, I don't know how someone else can go against it and go. Actually, I know you've been this successful and you've done this and and, and all that lot, but I think differently when they've not done that. Yeah. I, I don't see how they can go against it. So, for me, there needs to be a clear vision of what Super League is, and it's the European Super League. So, you know, is that does that mean that a load of funding gets pumped into Ireland? Does it get pumped into France? Does it get pumped into Wales? Like, is it Scotland? You know, where where does it go next? Because it can't just keep doing what it's doing and stay where it is. Um, and, yeah. and, I, and I believe that you know, moving forward, that it should be. Expansion clubs and Heartland clubs can live together. And I feel like you know yep. Saints and Saints and Leeds look at that and believe it too. You know, f- f- you know, I, I do think Warrington and Wigan think that as well. But I, I think that you know the best competition is a Heineken Cup kind of competition. Like, look at what people do well and steal it. That, that's literally like I, I, um, in in my spare time, I do strength and conditioning. None of my ideas are original. I, I just yeah. steal the best. I, I steal the best ideas from everybody else, and I put my spin on it. Yeah, that's what you do. because yeah. you can't be that innovative and that that smart that you can reinvent everything. So, you know, steal what is what is good, what works, and put your own spin on it. And that's what we should ultimately do. I, I agree with you. Like, we've got to find the best from everything. and But every now and then, an opportunity sort of lands on your lap without even, you know, planning it or thinking about it. And you, if it's a good one, you've got to be flexible enough and, and forward-thinking enough to take it. And Toronto was one of those because all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here's a guy in... It was Eric Perez at first, but then David Argo, a guy that was prepared to spend, as you say, $18 million out of his own pocket. To start a rugby rugby league club in Canada and play in the Super League, and it's like, where, like, how, how does this even? Who came up with this? How was this even an, a thing? But it was, and there were new fans, and people were excited about rugby. Like rugby league was on the back page of the paper in Canada, and play like fans were prepared, wanted to watch the their their local team, their Heartland team, play the Wolfpack because it was a new club. It was exciting. Sunny Bill was there. And we sort of just threw it away. And I feel like two things. So firstly, I applaud St. Helens, Leeds and Catalan for having the guts to to stand up for the game and and look big picture and not only think of themselves. And and to their credit, like those clubs are pretty safe for the long term. Like St. Helens ain't going anywhere, right? And, And I can understand, I can actually understand you know, a Wakefield or a Castleford or a Salford, and not, nothing against those clubs, but, you know, they they could potentially look at a Toronto and they look look past Toronto and see Ottawa and they look past Ottawa and they see New York and they think, holy shit, like, there's no room for us if these guys keep coming. So I can understand that and I can understand them voting against the club and that's why they shouldn't have been. They shouldn't have been the ones voting for it. It should have been completely independent. And now the next thing is, and, and stop me if you like, mate. I'm, I don't want to rant too much, but no, 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 no. Keep going. The next thing is, you know, where they they they're trying to figure out who the twelfth club's going to be next year. And by the time this goes to where, they may have decided on that. But it it looks to me like 
it the the new criteria is tailored to like a Bradford Bulls, for example. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like Bradford's a great club, but is that what we want at this stage? Are, are, are we just do, are we just getting rid of potentially what has been the biggest story in rugby league on in that on that side of the world for the last decade or decades? And we're going to replace that with a club that's going to bring some away fans every week to to some of the struggling clubs financially. And it looks like that's what we're doing. And and it's why what you said is is a hundred percent true. Like, yes, there's room for Heartland. And yes, there's room for expansion. We need to figure out what that looks like. And I think the Super League and, and Rob Alston and, and the, the, the board, they, they need to, they need to clearly define what they want it to be and, and go there. And if it doesn't include North America, that's, that's fine. That's up to them. But tell us it includes Ireland. It, it, it includes France. It includes Wales. It includes Scotland. It, tell us what the plan is and go for it. But I don't think there is a plan. To be honest with you, it, to me it looks like yep they're just trying to they're they're kind of defending the clubs that they've got and they're going to defend it as long as they can and piece by piece it seems to be falling away. I know in like ninety five ninety six when Super League started it was this big grand vision it was European Super League and I, I remember that and thinking wow European Super League that means we're going to have clubs from all over we're going to have Dublin we're going to have clubs from everywhere you know. But it's sort of never happened, and it's only shrunk since then. And and Toronto was an opportunity to make it bigger, and I just feel like we missed it, mate. And sorry, man, you can tell I'm I'm very passionate about this, and I just can't help but feel like we've missed an opportunity here. Yeah, definitely, and you know, it's good to hear that you know Toronto was was so wanted because you know that was that was what I wanted for it I wanted to build it with with other people and help build it and then and then leave it and then be like in 10 15 years might go back to it and go look this is what I built kind of like what the Raptors have done yeah. like you know it took them like 15 20 years and they got a championship now they, they won the championship the other year so you know and they're producing Canadian players but I, I do think that you are right. The the vision has to be defined now. They've said no to Toronto, and they've said no, we don't want to do that. And and for me, right, okay, that's what you want to do. That's fine. But tell us what's next. Tell us yeah. where where it's going. And you know, if if you want it as as an M sixty two corridor, well, that's fine. Do that. But then tell us, tell us that's what you want. Yeah. And, you know, I think the the way North America's got to look at it now is the do we go back into the UK? Probably not. Yep. Because would would you would you want to go back into a UK league? I wouldn't. If I if I owned a, a Canadian or a or a, an American club, I wouldn't want to go back into a a, a UK league because yep. it'd be like, well, look at what happened to Toronto. So yeah. So you if know, is that f- is that the advice you're giving, like an Eric Perez, if you were speaking to him? Like what what would you like? Where where must he be at? I'd love to be talking to him about what he's thinking right now. Yeah, and Eric's a true visionary, and you know only only he'll tell you his his plans for Ottawa. Yeah, but I, I feel like maybe the RFL voted for Toronto. Now that tells you where the RFLs are. Yeah, and you know the T the TV deal is going to change at the end of the year. It'll be interesting to see what happens with that, and where you know where that goes, and who takes what funding, and and what happens with the championship and championship one. Because you know if, if there is a divide, I was I was hoping the the you know the two the two governing bodies would come back together. But if there is yep. a divide, there might be something there for North America because ultimately you've got to get by the North American guys to a standard where they're playing against the UK guys and it's competitive. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, because we've been playing rugby over here for hundreds of years. Yeah. So, you know, you, you need to get them to a standard. And there's so many athletes over there. You look at the NFL, they cut so many away after their practice squad. So I think with, you know, with North America, there might be something there in setting enough teams up in League One and Championship until you get a league yourself yeah. and then moving it all across to North America or similarly just setting it up straight in North America but if you do that you've not got the TV funding so I, I don't know how they look at it from a financial point of view how they set it up but if Toronto is an example for anything it's an example for the chicken comes before the egg yeah. in this case yeah. so you've got to you've got to have a pro team you've got to have a good pro team who's decent and something some stars for the kids to look up to to want to play the game yeah. because if you don't have that the kids don't want to play the game. If you if you go into the grassroots and you say, oh, let's play, you know, we're going to teach you rugby, that's fine, but what's the pathway for those kids to actually play professionally? Right. They can't earn a living out of it. What's the point? Yeah. So yeah. I think that, you know, for North America, might it might be worth entering a League One until they've got maybe eight, 10, 12 teams and then moving across to themselves. But it has to be a semi-professional, professional sport so that guys can actually earn a living from it. Otherwise, they're not going to play it. You can't be what you can't see. That's a good one there that I hear a lot. And I love it. Firstly, mate, I love your um, your personal training sort of analogies with the proteins and all that sort of thing. So that's pretty good. But um, <laughs> yeah. but I love that you your the way your mind's working, like you, you're sort of thinking, okay, well, is is rugby league still alive in Canada? What can we do? And, and I get a sense that in your mind, it's it's still alive. There's still, I feel like there's still people and fans on the ground that are still trying to make it work and will continue to try and make it work. It just got a bit harder, a bit. It, it's just gotten a lot harder for them now because the Wolfpack was something that you know they could introduce kids to the game and they could aspire to be or play for. Like you said, do do you think do you think the game's dead in Canada? Or, or do you think there's still potential and opportunities? And if so, what are they, and, and who are they? No, I don't. I don't think it's dead. I think it. I think it. You know, I think the the despair from the fans that you see on social media yeah. shows that it's alive and well, and shows how disappointed they are. And you know, the GoFundMe that's been set up, and you know, all the fans that are pointing to that to to help guys like myself. Do you know what I mean that it's yeah. unbelievable and. You know, they they get something out of the the rugby league experience, game day experience that they'll never get out of any other game day experience. Yeah. So they go to a Raptors game or a Leafs game. Those guys are on ten to thirty million dollars a year. They'll never get to see those guys. And I've been told this by fans uh, after games as well. They'll they'll never ever get to see those guys because you know the, the guys finish the game. The the light celebrities aren't they? Whereas with rugby league, we're just blokes do you know what I mean yeah. we're, just, we're just we're just the we're just like general people so like they can come up to us after a game and say like oh why did you do this or why what what did you what were you thinking when you did this and it's almost like a personal interview for them yeah and they get to do that after every game with the players on the pitch so I think that's what the fans really loved about Toronto now I definitely think that there is something there and then we need to follow it up. But whether that's with a North American competition, like I was saying before, or teams coming into the UK, I'm, I'm not too sure. Yeah, yeah. But I guess the seeds are still there. It's just not, we don't have as much uh, as much mulch or water. We're not watering the plants, but the seeds are there. <laughs> I don't know, I'm trying to think yeah. of an analogy. It's probably no, terrible. Yeah, de- definitely, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a start. And I think, like, you know, the... 
there's there is some there's obviously something there because there was there was ten thousand fans there in the last game. Do you know what I mean? So those people won't forget that day. They'll remember that day. And if you start something up, people will come back. But it's just how how you build it up and how you make it sustainable. And then if you can make it semi-professional or professional to a standard where people will actually come and enjoy watching the games. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the fans there, like I speak to a number of people from Canada who were Wolfpack fans, and even even people from Canada on other part in other parts of of Canada, like from British Columbia or parts of Ottawa and other other places where rugby league is played. And there's a lot of people that are bitter with Super League, but they found the NRL this year because because the NRL was the only sport being played during the early lockdown periods around the world. So they discovered the NRL and went, oh, hold on a second, like, this is pretty good. And I'm surprised by how many Canadians and, and Americans I've, I've spoken to in the last couple of months who have discovered the game because of that. And and so, so the passion's there. I don't think it will ever... I think there will always be potential, so I don't think it's lost forever. Um, so I think you're right, mate. We just need to figure out what the plan is and... You know, is it up to Super League to grow it there? Is it up to the RF, RFL to grow it in North America? Do they have, can they actually do it? You know, the thing with Super League is, like we said, the clubs are, a lot of the clubs are just looking out, like they're trying to survive the next 12 months, let alone try and build the sport in another country. So, you know, are they the right people for the job? I don't know, and probably not. So, but I do think that the seeds are there and there, there are some people there that can make something happen. Uh, what that is, I don't know, but I'm hearing, I hear whispers, and I hope they turn into shouts eventually. Um, what about the Wolfpack brand? So, is 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 it is the Wolfpack done, or can you see the club being reformed at League One? Will we see a reincarnation of the brand at some stage? Because it's a great brand and it's well recognised, and it's, it would be a shame to have it lost to the game. Yeah, I think you know, with with regards to the f- immediate future, yeah. um, it's it's done. But I, yeah. I'm I'm not sure long term. Um, like I said before, the only people that can tell you tell you that are the people that own it, and like you know, David and, and whatever his his plans are for it. So I, I hope it doesn't. You know, it's 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 such a great concept, and you know, I, I loved uh, getting the city bike and riding down King Street and yeah. going to train and stuff like that. It's, su- it's such a great place. It's, you know, it's definitely one of my favourite cities and, you know, I hope I hope it's not done. Um, but, you know, I, I think for the foreseeable, I can't see a way back at the minute. Um, but yeah, only David can tell you that and he can, he can only tell you what what are his plans or or if he's going to sell it or or whatever whatever would happen in the future but i really hope it's it's not done i um i reached out to david when all of this sort of started unfolding and he agreed to come on the pod podcast to discuss it and then i never heard from him again so if you do speak to him tell him i'd love to have him on <laughs> to 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 explain or to to tell us what the next step is in his mind but yeah it, 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 i yeah i can only guess what's going on with him because um, yeah yeah. I, yeah I think that you know it i think a lot of people do find it hard to criticize him even though you know all the the struggles we've been through for the last six months like not not earning a wage like it's been so difficult but yeah the guys put 80 million pounds into a project and you know it's hard to to criticize someone like that but you know i was asked by a, a, another journalist like a, a while ago like knowing what i know now would i have 
still gone for Toronto yeah. back four years ago. Yeah. And, and I said, um, you know, with regards to Toronto, it's it's responsible for some of the best experiences in my life, you know. Um, I got engaged to my missus in Toronto oh, yeah. um, last year and we, we got promoted and stuff like that. And it, it is responsible for some of the best experiences to, to my, of my life. But it's also responsible for probably the worst six, seven months of my life as well. Yeah. But having... If, if if I could like do it all again, exactly the same, a hundred percent I would. That's 100%. that's incredible to hear, and, and the fact that you can sit there and say, you know, I've had the worst six months of my life, but I still can't say a bad word about David Argyle. You know, like, you know, the the it's that says a lot to me, I think, and yeah. and what that club was really all about, and just you know, it's a real shame the world is the way it is right now because. I have no doubt if it wasn't for COVID, like things might have been tricky and it would have been a tough year and you might have got relegated to the championship. And we probably would have been sitting here complaining about that right now <laughs> and not known, you know, how bad it could have really been. But it is what it is. And I, I think at the very least, it's been such a wonderful part of our history, to, despite how short it is. And it has shown the potential that our game has in a new market. And I just hope we learn the lessons. I really do. And, um, yeah. Mate, um, I think we've, we've had a very passionate discussion, mate. I, I didn't <laughs> expect to get all sweaty like I have been, but, um, I want to, I want to thank you for your time, man. You to, to put your hand up after what happened and say, Hey, I'd, I'd love to chat. Like it means a lot to me. It means a lot to our listeners. Is, is there any other, you know, final messages or anything else you'd like to say before, um, before we end the interview? No, yeah, like I just appreciate you having me on. Uh, um, you know, you, you're doing a lot of good for our game, and you know, uh, you, your podcast gets gets um, the, the game to new people, and that's what it's all about. Because you know, you look at other sports, like you've got to get the game to new people, and you've got to keep growing it. And I think you're doing a great job of that. And you know, I know you've got some interviews lined up with some of the people from you know emerging and developing nations, and I think that is really great. And you know. I just think you're doing a great job and, you know, I, I appreciate everything you're doing and I know that all, all the, the rugby league family does. So just, yeah, thanks thanks for doing everything you're doing. I really appreciate you saying that, mate. And one of the interviews coming up is um, Monte Gaddis. He actually asked me to say hello to you when we, when we spoke. <laughs> so shout out to Monty. Yeah. Mate, um, mate um, look, it's been fantastic. I hope that um, I hope that the next step for you is a good one. Like, I hope we see you in Super League again for, or, you know, whatever club it is. I hope we see you there again. Or I just hope the next step is, is just incredible for you because you deserve it. And, um, yeah, thank you so much for chasing kangaroos with me tonight, mate. Cheers.